told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew uh, them, knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and out went them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as, a sh- as sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred pennyworth of bread and give them to eat? He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled and they took up uh, 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up, unto them into the ship and and the wind ceased and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered for they considered not the miracle of the loaves for their heart was hardened. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him and ran through the whole region round about and began to carry about in beds and those that were sick were where they heard he was, and whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or countries, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. In the text before us today, Jesus Christ proves once and again, as he has already through five and a half, well, into the sixth chapter, He has proved over and over he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. He proved by his mighty deeds he is God come in the flesh. Look, who else can take five loaves of bread, two fish, and feed 5,000 men? Who could feed 10 teenagers with that? You know, Uh, and women and children. Uh, Who else can walk on water, verse 48? Who has control over the elements to stop the winds when he got in the boat, in verse 51? Who could have someone touch his clothes and be healed of their infirmity? Verse 56. Anyone that could do that would probably make a business of it. Jesus, though, is the Christ. And that is the goal and focus of John Mark. And if we miss that, if we don't say that, if we don't share that with you, then you have missed the most important message of the gospel, of any of the gospels. They all remind us Jesus is the Christ. So if you're tired of that already... Just get used to it because you're going to hear it throughout this gospel. We need to be reminded that's the message that God wants us to get. But if that's all we learn from today's text, we're missing a number of powerful, important truths. In fact, quite honestly, as I've said already a number of times, I want to stop at each one. 
And I'd like to preach on each one. There are so many great things to bring out and thoughts uh, to be learned from each one of the circumstances here. But there is a main message I'd like you to see, something to learn from uh, the stories that we find here. As we see Jesus in the story of the disciples, we see the hungry people, the visit on the sea, uh, the ministry in Gennesaret. And, uh, and there's a lot to be learned, but there's one lesson I'd like you to see. And my friends, that's the rest of the story. And we'll get to that in a minute. Let's pray. Father, please open our eyes, our minds, our hearts, our ears to the truth of your word today. Help us to see Jesus Christ as he is, the Christ, the Messiah, the powerful one, the mighty one, the God of heaven and earth who came to earth to die for the sins of men. Help us not to miss that message in this, in this gospel passage. But Father, help us also to see Jesus, the servant today. Work in our hearts. I pray that we would be challenged from the word of God and that we'd be changed appropriately for your glory. Please do a work in our midst and help us to understand the very important message God has for us today here. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you hear the story about two guys who were out camping in the deep woods? It was a warm summer night, and suddenly their sleep was abruptly interrupted by a large furry visitor. A huge black bear began to tear through their camp, crushing supplies, throwing backpacks, scaring these two men half to death. Well, one of the men opened the tent, and he was ready to run for safety. But he looked back, and he saw his friend, and his friend was putting on his, his sneakers. And the guy looked at him, he said, what are you doing? You'll never be able to outrun a bear. And to that, his friend replied, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just got to outrun you. <laughs> now, in that little story, we have a picture, an example of, well, what most people are in this day, selfish, meism. It's all about me. Well, you know, in that situation, I guess I'd be <laughs> wondering if I could run faster than my friend, too. But the truth of the matter is, in our world today, we have people who are all focused on themselves. But as I was reading through Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30 and all the way through the end of this chapter, there's something that did stand out to me. That Jesus, as we have said many times about Mark and his presentation of Jesus Christ, Jesus is shown here as a selfless servant. And it's not just Jesus, quite frankly. Even the disciples are seen as selfless people, giving of themselves for the good of other people. A lot of times in our world, we have a focus today. In fact, it's even being emphasized in many ways. I need to meet my needs first. That's the cry of our age. Meism, it's all about me. But Jesus taught something different. And Jesus patterns something different. And I hope you will see that in Mark chapter 6. Someone made this statement. The world measures a man's greatness by the number who serve him. Heaven's yardstick measures a man by the number whom he serves. Well, every one of the stories we find teaches us wonderful things about Jesus' power and, and gives us some interesting perspectives that we could easily preach on many of them individually. It's the message of selfless service that Mark wonderfully exemplifies by what's happening in Christ's life in Mark chapter 6, verse 30, and on through the end. It doesn't just show Jesus as a servant, but it shows the disciples learning to be servants and learning what it's all about. So this morning, the message is all about uh, serving. I, I put the, these words on, on the top of my outline, selfish or selfless. An example in ministering or ministry. We have in our passage, or at least we're going to bring out to you, the exhortation to minister, to be a servant. That's what being a minister is, by the way. Some people always say, well, well, who is the minister of your church? Well, the truth of the matter is everyone should be a minister in the church. You know that, don't you? Okay? A minister is a servant. When you see that word in the Bible, it's talking about someone who serves. In fact, Jesus Christ said, that's an important thing for us to do. In fact, just take a moment. Let's look there. Mark chapter 10. Uh, we could turn to any one of the Gospels because you'll find that story or that, that point brought out. But Jesus talks about ministry in Mark chapter 10. 
and he says something about it there in verses 43 to 45. Uh, Jesus, by the way, in verse 42, calls the disciples to him, says unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and, are gr and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you, what is he going to be? He's going to be your minister. And whosoever will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now we're going to have opportunity to get to Mark chapter 10 uh, in, a, in a short while, hopefully. Well, at least, well, I don't know how many weeks that's going to take to get us there. And we'll have a chance to look at that passage where Jesus teaches a powerful truth. But those verses do kind of sum up the idea of Jesus Christ's life. And they picture his life in these very verses. The exhortation given to minister was taught by Jesus in Mark chapter 10. And it was expressed as well in this passage. Now you say, well, where do we see it? If you look at verse 30, you see these words. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Now look, that doesn't really help us and it doesn't necessarily teach us about serving unless we understand that we're kind of at the end of the story. Because you've got to look back to what goes on a little bit earlier in this passage. If you take the time, in fact, why don't you do that? Look back at verse 7 of Mark chapter 6. In verse 7, the Bible tells us he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse. And he goes on and talks about what they were sent to do. Two things basically they did in their time. And we're not even actually told it in verse 7, but they were sent to minister to people and first of all to preach the word of God. That was their ministry. That was their focus. That was their job. Then God gave them power to do miraculous works to, if you would, authenticate the message that they were of God and they were messengers from God, uh, but as well to do good for people and to meet their needs, to serve people. And in verse 30, we have a record of that. We have a testament to that fact. So the men were sent out. Six different pairs of men were sent out to do the work. And here's what they did. They preached, and they used the gift that God had given them to heal people. The exhortation to minister is found really in verses 7 to 13 when Jesus sent them out, but the exhortation to minister is also found in verse 30 because they came back saying, we've done what you called us to do. Look, uh, this morning Jesus Christ hasn't sent us out, hasn't sent people out two by two necessarily to go out and preach a message and to heal people. Boy, wouldn't it be nice if you could do that? At least the healing part would be a real nice thing. The preaching is something that we can all do. In fact, we're all told, Christians are all told in our day, though, that we are supposed to go out with the gospel. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That command is found at the end of the gospels, at the end of the ministry of Jesus Christ's life. He focused on it. He even said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. So there is a job, there is a responsibility that all men have uh, to do to, to be a minister. And it's expressed in this passage because Jesus sent them out and they come back and they report and they say, this is what we've done. Look, the great commission given by Jesus at the end of his earthly ministry is a call to minister. Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 10 called us to minister. In this chapter, Jesus called on the disciples to minister and they're reporting on it in verse 30. But you know, it's not only expressed by what the disciples did. Quite honestly, it's evidenced by how Jesus lived. Because Jesus was all about serving people. We don't even have time. We could go back to each one of these chapters that have already been found in the book of Mark. And in every chapter, you'll find Jesus teaching, preaching, healing. Every one of them. You can't get away from that fact because his life's ministry was serving people. He said, the Son of Man has come to minister and to give his life. But let me tell you something. Jesus didn't just minister on the cross. He did, but he didn't just minister on the cross. 
Every moment, uh, it almost seems like every waking moment, Jesus was about ministry. He was about serving. And he exemplified and ev evidenced that by his life. Starting in verse 30 and on through the end of this chapter, we read Jesus ministering. And it's beautiful in this passage. Verse 30 is about men who obeyed the call to minister. But verse 31 and on through verse 56 is about a man who taught what ministry and serving is all about. After uh, Jesus Christ hears the report from these men, he suggests a time of rest. But do you know something? As best as I can tell, they never got any rest. You say, what do you mean? Well, if you read or if you were listening, if you paid attention to the passage, Jesus said in verse 31, come ye apart into a desert place and rest a while. And here's the reason why, by, by the way, because Jesus was ministering then. They didn't even have time to eat. I mean, there were crowds coming all the time around Jesus Christ. He's ministering to these people. And so Jesus says, hey, look, we got to get away. I want you men to be able to go and spend a little bit of time and to have a little bit of a break. And, it's, uh, and so he sends them away because he couldn't even do it where they were at. So they get in a boat to go away in verse 32, to go to a desert place. Uh, and they were in a ship and they were alone there in the ship. So that was their rest. At least as best we know, because it says the people saw them departing. Many knew him. They ran thither uh, out of the cities, outwent them, and came together unto him. So you know when Jesus, when they got back from their, from their, from their rest on the boat, they were there waiting. And so rather than Jesus saying, hey, we need a break, people. We need rest. Says Jesus was moved with compassion for these people. And if you find what we see in this story, it says in verse 34 at the end, and he began to teach them many things. So he ministered and ministered and ministered. And if you look at verse 35, it says, And when the day was now far spent, Jesus is teaching this and evidencing this ministry, this life of ministering and serving and giving of himself. He spends the whole day ministering. They go past dinner time or supper or whatever you want to call it. And so the disciples, I naturally so, say in verse 36, send them away. Let them go find their own food. You know, I mean, look, it's late. And, and I don't know, we're hungry. And Taco Bell is closing soon. I'm sorry, that wasn't in the, it wasn't in the, it was probably in a different version somewhere, you know. But, uh, you know, so, hey, tell them to go to the villages, find themselves bread. They have nothing to eat. And then Jesus, ministering against us, give them to eat. Are you kidding? Give me, we don't have anything. We have, we have 200, we have 200 pennies. It doesn't go very far. 200 penny worth. Uh, I don't think it's going to feed everyone here. What, what do you want us to do? And he commands them to sit down. They, they figured out they had five loaves and two fishes. And what do they do? They serve. They serve people. He prays, he breaks bread, he gives it to the disciples. And what are the disciples doing? Hey, let me tell you something. They, they were the guys handing out the food. You know, they didn't set up two lines and say, go through and, and get what you want. The disciples went through each row and gave, gave 5,000 people food, 12 men. Gave 5,000 people food. You don't think that took a while? These men learned through Jesus Christ to serve. Jesus served these people all day. Then he continues to serve them by providing food. And then, so they're going to get a break, right? Because they did all this work and everything else. And so Jesus constrains his disciples in verse 45 to get into a ship, go to the other side before unto Bethsaida. And he was going to send away the people. By the way, the idea of constraint is that he begged, he told the guys, look, you need to go. It seems like they didn't want to leave Jesus because they knew, look, dispersing this crowd wasn't going to just take a few minutes. 
uh, taking care of what needed to be ta taken care of wasn't going to be just a little duty. In fact, a number of times it seems like the disciples were involved with dispersing the crowd. And yet Jesus sends them away, being, if you would, the minister in teaching this matter of ministry. And so he sends them away. He sends then the people away. He goes to pray. But then he sees the men and they're in this boat and they're struggling to get where they need to get. Verses 48 to 51. So you know what Jesus does? He ministers. He walks to them on the water. He encourages their heart when they thought it was a ghost. Yes, that's the way we would describe it today. They thought it was a ghost. They thought they were seeing things. And they were scared. But Jesus calms their heart. He calms the wind. And he meets the need of these people because he's the servant. Well, then they travel in the boat. They get to Gennesaret. And they have just a time of, of R&R. Enjoy themselves. They do a little fishing. They do some water skiing. They find another Taco Bell. Everything's going well. That's not how our passage ends. Because Taco Bell wasn't there, we know. No. The passage ends, and it says, when they were come out of the ship, what does it say in verse 54? That word we see in Mark so often, straightway, immediately, right away. People see him and say, it's, it's Jesus. And so what do they do? They get their sick friends and they bring them to see Jesus. So then he's going through each city and he's ministering each city and we see a man who's serving. Do you, do you get this picture of service in this chapter? You can't, you can't miss it. You can't read this passage and not see a, a man and actually disciples as well who have learned and are learning this matter of ministry. And we see it over and over in every one of these stories. We see people ministering and serving and giving of themselves. And quite honestly, that's what God wants us to learn today. And that's what God wants us to do in life. So I'd like you to see these examples in ministry and learn from them. We have, if you would, the exhortation to ministry, minister, but I'd like you to see these examples in ministry and learn a number of things about serving, about giving of yourself that God wants you to learn and you can learn from this passage today. And I'm going to start with the negative, okay? I'd like to share with you some points about ministry. And it's not necessarily the negative, but... Actually, when I was looking it over and thinking it a little bit more, it does kind of seem a little bit discouraging, but it's important for us to know and it's important for us to see. First, I want you to understand that ministry is desperately needed. You can learn that from the passage in a number of places, but I love it in verse 34 because Jesus, when he came out, he just gets off the boat with the men who he had sent and, and, and wanted them to have some time to rest. He saw the people and it says this, he was moved with compassion toward them. And, what he, and, and why was he moved with compassion? It says, because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And we learn in that verse. And by the way, we learn at the end of this chapter. And we learn throughout this chapter. And we learn from the fact that Jesus sent disciples out in the first place to minister and meet the needs of people that ministry is desperately needed in our world. And here's the reason why. Because people are trying to figure out how to get their sneakers on and be first. Because people live their life. In general, most people live their life thinking about, about me. In fact, just read an article about that today, that one of our problems is meism in society. Do you know that people are even being encouraged to end their marriages because, well, hey, look, you're not finding fulfillment in your marriage. It's meism. It's all about me. And people justifying all sorts of things that are wrong because, look, they're all focused on me. And the truth is, ministry is desperately needed. There are people all around us, everywhere we go, every day that we come in contact with, who have needs. And God has called upon people to minister. Ministry is desperately needed. Jesus saw the people in verse 34. He understood their need. He was moved enough to strive to meet that need. And, uh, and you know what? Most people didn't even know they had a need. If you ask the people that were there, well, what's your need? 
they wouldn't have said, we're sheep needing a shepherd. Right? None of them would have. But Jesus saw that they had deep, great needs. My friends, the truth is, those needs are still prevalent today. They're, they're, they're all around us. They're everywhere you go. They're at your work. They're at the grocery store. They're at the gas station. Everywhere you go, there are people who are as sheep having no shepherd, who need someone to go with the gospel message. They need ministers. See, ministry is desperately needed in our day. And quite honestly, so few are actually doing it. But what I love about this passage is Jesus understood the need. But it's not just that Jesus saw this need here and he met that. Then he saw they had a need for food. And he met that need because he had the ability to do something about it. Then he saw the disciples who had a need when they were in a boat and they're trying to row this boat and get it to, to, to shore, however they were supposed to do that. And the wind was opposed to them, according to the passage. And so they're having difficulty. And what does Jesus do? He comes and he meets that need because Jesus is all about ministry. And then Jesus finally gets to the place where he's going, to Gennesaret. And rather than say, hey, it's time for us to spend some rest, to have some R&R, to have our rest and relaxation time. It's time for us to refresh. It's time for us to just enjoy, you know, sand in the sea and surf and to get away. When Jesus sees the people and as he goes about, his, his focus is all on ministering to people. Ministry is desperately needed. And you know what's going to how it's going to happen or how it's going to take place and how ministry will actually happen in your life? It's when you begin, like Jesus Christ, to open your eyes to the fact that people have a need. You see, Jesus didn't just open his eyes when he saw the multitude and had compassion on them because they were sheep having no shepherd. He saw the need when the disciples said, hey, these people got to eat. Jesus had his eyes open when he saw the disciples in the boat and they were rowing. Jesus had his eyes open when they get to the land and when it might have been nice to have at least a little break. But people came and started bringing sick people and he understood, hey, there's people who have need here. Look, ministry is a desperately needed thing because here's the truth. And we even see it borne out in this passage. A great majority of people today are looking to be served rather than serve. And a great number of people in our world have no idea that they have need. And so ministry is desperately needed. There's another point we can learn from this passage. And like I said, it may seem a little discouraging, but ministry is demanding and exhausting. And that's why I think a lot of times people don't do it. It is. It requires time. It requires effort. Now, I, I'm not, see, we're not talking about a pastor today, although uh, pastors can fit in that, although some pastors can be lazy too. Um, we're talking about everyone who, who names the name of Jesus Christ, who's supposed to be a minister. Understand this, ministry is very demanding and difficult. And very few people understand how demanding it is. Let me tell you the reason why. In some cases, they've never learned to serve. They've never learned to minister, and so they have no idea. You know, many of these people had no idea how taxing this time was on Jesus Christ. Do you think that these people in the villages in verse 56 in this chapter were saying, oh man, you know, Jesus is probably really tired. You know what they were saying? I got a friend. I'm going to bring him to Jesus. He's got to meet the need. A lot of people have no idea of the demands of ministry. But this passage really pictures it in a wonderful way. Why? Disciples come back and Jesus says, you folks need a break. Ministry is demanding. It's taxing. It weighs on a person. It's a, it's a very tiring time. It is a very, very trying thing. Those who serve, who really selflessly serve and give themselves, understand completely what Jesus is talking about when he said the disciples come apart and rest a while. Because when you serve and give of yourself, you will find that it is extremely 
demanding. Now, I don't say that, again, to discourage you, but to understand this, service is not an easy thing. Do you think it was easy for the men in verses 7 to 12 to go out and preach the gospel? You say, oh, yeah, we know Peter and James and John. I mean, look at them in the book of Acts. We're not in the book of Acts yet. These guys have just been introduced to Jesus. They haven't been with him for years or anything at this point. Been actually pretty early in, in ministry. So they haven't been around him for years. They've observed him. They've heard him. They obviously have been taught of him. Okay? But then they're sent out to serve. You, you say, I could never speak in front of people. What do you think Peter and James and John were like? They were fishermen. They never talked to anyone. Well, at least that would have been their profession. They weren't guys who got up and spoke in front of people all the time. They weren't people who got up and traveled. You know, I hear Christians say, well, I could never be a witness for Jesus Christ. Well, if God can do it with Peter, James, and John and the 12, then look, he can do it with you as well. These were guys who had never done this before. They hadn't been public speakers, and God called them out of public speaking ministries and said, okay, now we're going to change your preaching. They were guys who were out on boats because they couldn't get along with people, probably, and probably didn't want to ever talk to people. But God did something amazing in them, and they found and they learned very quickly that it's exhausting. Let me tell you something. Your Sunday school teacher, if they teach the word of God, will really give, them, give themselves to spend time in the word of God, and you need to understand that. People who minister find that is very demanding in life. Now it's rewarding, and I, there is no suggestion at all, and there is no complaint of anyone in Mark chapter 6 about the demands of ministry. But please understand this passage reminds us that it is demanding. That sometimes, in fact, you're going to be called upon to do it when you don't want to do it. Do you really think the disciples were sitting when they come to the, to, when they, they get off the boat after Jesus has said, let's go apart and rest a while. When they get off the boat and saw those people, do you think the disciples were there saying, yeah, look at all these people. Another opportunity. Seriously. Do you think that? Don't you at least get this hint? Send them away that they may go into the country and buy food. Lord, get them out of here. Okay, and then when the Lord suggests that they actually do something about it, 200 penny worth, we don't have no money. It's demanding. Ministry is demanding. And then they serve those people. They served 5,000 men. And then they gathered up the fragments afterward. Do you, do you get this, this picture? It's demanding. Um, you know, people a lot of times don't have any clue that those who are servants do so, if you would, at great cost to their own to their own personal strength and well-being. By the way, I, I, yeah, I, there's some encouraging things, right? But ministry is discouraging. And do you know why? Because people are unreasonably demanding. Do you see that in this passage? Do, do you see one person say to Jesus, these people run to the, run to the boat. They get ahead of them. <laughs> so as soon as they arrive, we can talk with them and we can get them to, to preach some more to us. They didn't have a clue that the disciples had just been out preaching and they were exhausted and they needed some time. They didn't have a clue that Jesus had been around people so much so that they didn't even have time to eat. They had no clue. They had no understanding. And I tell you, sometimes it's discouraging because there are so many needs when you serve and there's so many people that, that have needs and so many people that, are, that don't understand and don't care 
that you haven't had any rest, that you haven't been able to eat food, that you have been doing this for now, for now weeks and weeks, and that every day you have been pressured by people. And you know what? People still come up and want more. You say, boy, preacher, you're, you're making me feel bad for you. Good! But the idea is not that you feel bad for me or anyone else who ministers because anyone who ministers is blessed of God. But I want you to see the reality of this passage in a way that maybe you've never seen it before because this is a story about someone who served and it was, it was demanding and humanly it was discouraging because needy people were calling upon him all the time to do something for them because they were self-centered, selfish people now Jesus did for them what they needed he gave them the gospel but he also met their needs and he ministered for hours and hours and days and weeks on end having observed people for years I've come to a conclusion and boy it didn't take a rocket scientist to, to figure this out that's why I understood it that basically in life there are givers and takers now, I could easily prove that. As a pastor, there are people who come by our church or call looking for financial help. It may be an electric bill. It may be medicine. It may be food. But they're looking to be served in some way. And I'll tell you something. That's not always sinful. That's not always wrong. There's nothing necessarily in itself sinful in that. Sometimes life happens. Someone loses their job. Someone has a difficult time through no fault of their own. And they're desperate. And let me tell you something, those are people that we should help, people we should care about, people we should be concerned over. Um, on the other hand, there are people who come back over and over again, and each time they have another need. You say, that doesn't happen. Sadly, it does. I, I, I could actually point out some people that have been to the doors of this church a number of times. Some have even said, you're, you're not welcome back. And the reason why is because all they're looking for is a handout. They don't want real help because they need help. Um, I, I told you about a lady who called to get a gift for her son at Christmas, who had, by the way, called a number of times before that asking for other things. She asked for a computer because his, her son didn't have one and wanted to give him something special for Christmas. I thought, you know, it'd be nice if someone gave me a computer for Christmas. How many of you gotten a gift like that? But here's the truth. Most people are demanding and they have no idea. They don't consider the fact that... Um, if we provide a computer for that boy, a number of people in this church worked a job and actually did something with their life and had enough money to give to this church so that we could give to meet, to meet needs, not wants. You see, in this world, a great number of people are just, they're, they're takers. They'll get what they can get. They'll take everything they can. Those running our government focus on the takers these days. And there are a bunch of people in our world that are just takers. They don't care that they're taking something from hardworking people who actually work. Um, they're just interested in themselves. And as a result, honestly, sometimes ministering is discouraging. I've got to tell you something. It's sometimes discouraging when you have someone come back for the third or fourth time. And to think, well, you know, um, everyone else I know has gotten a job. And they're taking care of themselves. And wouldn't it be a nice thing if you came back and gave something to the church so that we could give something to someone else? But the truth is, many people are takers. But then there are givers. And that's what God calls upon us to do. And that's what this passage is all about. Givers who seem willing to do what they can to meet the needs of others at the expense of themselves. And here's the truth. It's not just in the world, but in the church. In every church, there are givers and there are takers. 
Givers who selflessly serve, they volunteer to take a meal to a hurting family. They might open their wallet to help someone who lost their job, someone who's having trouble making ends meet. And then there are churches, there are people in every church that are takers. They're not serving. They show up Sunday after Sunday. They want to be fed from the word. They go their way, rarely having any part or using their, their gifts for the glory of God to help God's people and God's church. And those people will call and expect the pastor and the people of the church to meet their needs. And there's people that go from church to church doing that. Which are you? Which are you? In this passage, we have givers and takers. I got to tell you something. It was taxing on Jesus. It was taxing on the disciples. We don't see them complain. We don't see them upset about it. And, and the reason why is because I want to get here. When you serve, God rewards you wonderfully. When you live a life that says, it's not about me, it's about others. Where can I be involved? How can I serve? What can I do? I'm going to start looking at the people around me and understand that life is not about me coming and just getting fed all the time at church. Life is about me coming and serving at church and looking for people who have needs and giving of myself. That life isn't just about me getting what I need for my wants, but life is about taking what God has given me and, and using it to serve. And these people, I, you know, probably came to the end of verse 56, at the end of this whole thing, and they're like, wow, is that tiring. At least I can see the disciples and even Jesus maybe saying that. But man, what a time we had. Think about all the lives that were changed. Think about the things that we had opportunity to do. We had, I got up and spoke in front of people. And I actually did it. And man, God gave me a special ability and I laid hands on this guy. And he had, he didn't, he couldn't see, but he could see after I was, after I was done. What an amazing thing God did. And these people were indeed strengthened by God. But look, let's be honest enough to understand that that doesn't mean that ministry is necessarily e easy. I, you know, if anything comes from this, I hope you'll, you'll start to value whether you're a giver or a taker and you'll ask God to help you to become a giver and that you'll understand that life isn't just about you. It's about giving of yourself in service to Jesus Christ like our Lord Jesus did. The Bible tells us this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And anyone who ministers learns that truth. But that doesn't change the fact that there are givers and takers and that the ministry is sometimes very, very taxing. Uh, by the way, some people begin, who begin serving in life stop for this very reason. Because they find that it is taxing. And that if they're not in tune with God, it becomes frustrating. And so I'd like you to see some principles for ministry. Because if we come to this passage and we encourage people to be ministers, you might end up discouraged, like maybe I sound like I've been. And I'm not. Because ministry is not an easy thing, as we see from our passage. But I'd like you to see a number of principles that will not only encourage, but also help you know what is needed. First of all, ministry requires obedience. Do you, do you know what's interesting? In this passage, only one time we see someone moved with compassion. That's Jesus Christ. In verse 7, we don't see the disciples moved with compassion we see the disciples saying, here's what God called me to, I'm going to do it. And sometimes ministry is just about making the decision, hey, look, it doesn't matter what anyone else does, I'm going to learn to be a giver. I'm going to give of myself. I'm going to start serving people. 
I'm going to start looking at opportunities that God gives me, and I'm going to start looking around at the people that, that I come in contact with. I'm going to look at people, and I'm going to get to know people at church. I'm going to start, I'm going to start looking when I go out to the, to the grocery store or to the restaurant and say, hey, look, there are people that might have needs that God could use me to meet today. So part of that is just making the decision, God has called me to this, and I'm going to obey. Have you ever done this? I found this many times has happened. Sometimes I don't necessarily feel like serving, but when I do it, I come back saying, oh, I'm glad I did. Okay, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you because you already know that I'm a rotten guy anyway because I'm always telling you all the bad things that I do, but I've gone out on visitation sometimes and I didn't want to go. Okay, you've never done that, but I have. But I can tell you this, anytime I didn't want to go, when I went, I always came back glad I went. What we used to all the time, because in the ministry we're in, a larger ministry, there are people in nursing homes. Uh, we used to go visit nursing homes, some of the people, some of the shut-ins from our church that couldn't get out. It wasn't something I always enjoyed doing. But... I rarely ever went to visit people in the nursing home, and I could come back blessed. Rarely. Because serving has a reward, but you've got to make the decision you're going to do it. And look, the reward doesn't come until you do it. The blessing doesn't come until you do it. And maybe some never get into ministry because they haven't come to the place where they said, God, you want me to do this. I'm going to do it whether I feel like it or not. So, Lord, you call me to be a witness. I'm going to be a witness whether I feel like it or not. I'm going to hand out tracts whether I feel like it or not. And look, many times when you do that, I think like the disciples here, you'll come back and say, Lord, look at what was done. We preached and people were healed. And man, this is great stuff. Now, I'm kind of reading into it. I guess I, we, I must have the NIV before me in verse 30. But it seems like these men were just glad to be able to report, this is what God, this is what you did, and this is what we did. And so it's kind of come to the place where you just say, I'm going to obey, I'm going to do no matter how I feel, I'm going to do what I've never done before, but I'm going to do it because God's called me to it. And I'll tell you, it may be frightening, it may be hard, it may be difficult, but just obey. Ministry requires power. In verse 7, the disciples needed power to heal. Now, we don't need power to heal, but we do need power to be a witness. And God has promised that power. Ministry requires, ooh, rest. Do you know, preachers hate to say this, but sometimes it's good for someone who's ministering to say no. Now, you never say that to me. Just want you to know that. Never say that to me. But sometimes, ministry, you need to say no. There are times when, when, Maybe someone else needs to pick up the slack. And, and the disciples need to come out, needed to come out and rest a while. Now, some who have boundless energy may not comprehend that those they keep asking might not have that kind of energy. But um, there is a time that re ministry requires rest. Ministry is enhanced by compassion, verse 34. Um, now, look. It's one thing to do it because you're obeying, but it's another thing to do it because you're moved with compassion for the needs of the people before you. And I'll tell you something, that is a great way to minister. Because you've been looking out and you've been seeing that your neighbor has been more than willing to talk with you about all sorts of things, and they need Jesus Christ. So you have them over for a meal, just trying to open doors. So you talk to them when you hadn't talked to your neighbor maybe all that much before. And you just see, there are people around me. By the way, that's how you become a giver, when you start to look out around you and say, you know, I may be hurting, but there's people that are hurting far worse than I am. And there are people all around me that have needs, and I can meet them. And so ministry is enhanced by compassion. Ministry requires selflessness. We know that versus, well, the whole chapter. You can't serve because you feel like it. You have to serve because it's right. But can I also share something else from Jesus Christ? Ministry requires prayer. Ministry requires that you stay right with God. Jesus Christ, uh, the Bible tells us after he sent the people away, what did he do? 
Well, in Mark chapter 6, we find that Jesus went out right after that, after he sent away the people, he departed into a mountain to pray. So it requires that you deal with and you feed yourself spiritually. It requires rest, but it requires spiritual food. It requires spiritual refreshment. And in fact, um, you know, you ever hear someone talk about burnout in ministry? You say, I've never heard that. Well, sometimes pastors talk about burnout in ministry, and sometimes people in churches get burned out in ministry. And you know, part of that is probably one of two things. They either didn't take time for rest or they didn't take time for their spiritual life. I'm so busy, I don't have time to read my Bible. I'm so busy, I don't have time to pray. I'm serving. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm serving. I'm giving time for it, but I don't have time for it. And as soon as you neglect the spiritual well-being of your life, then you're going to stop ministering as God wants you to minister. So those who minister need time with God. They need time with prayer. They need time with God's people. They need time in the Word of God. They need time for prayer. Ministry requires patience or endurance. I think verse 56 is a wonderful picture of that. As Jesus goes through every city, there's people lined up along the side. They're, they're, in, they're carried there and everything else. They're, they're lame. They're sick. They're, there are all sorts of things going around. Um, and, you know, they, they, um, and they wanted to touch him. You know, they wanted to have handshaking time with Jesus because that meant healing. Um, and he had to endure and be patient. God's work isn't accomplished by half-hearted quitters, but by committed people who won't quit just because the path is hard. But look, God's work is done by givers, not takers. Now, sometimes God may put you in a place where you need to be, and, and it's a blessing when there are other givers that can meet your needs. But quite frankly, what God calls everyone in this room to be is a giver someone who ministers, someone who serves. And he patterns well what we need and what it's all about. So here's the question this morning, and I ask it in all sincerity, and I don't ask it to be critical of anyone, but I ask you to ask yourself this question, am I giver or am I taker? And if you find, as you think it through, that there's some work that needs to happen in your giving and ministry. And why not give it to the Lord today and set out to become what God wants you to be? Because there's no better place to be in life than a servant of Jesus Christ. To give your life for others. That's not just the job a pastor has. It's the job every Christian has. I'm thankful that as I look out, I see, in many cases, givers. But I think that God wants us all to be challenged in Mark 6 by a Lord who did it and by men who learn that life isn't about getting Life is about giving. And may we serve. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.